welcome to the Primary Ride Home for Thursday, May 16th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, Bill de Blasio is officially running, Pennsylvania polling looks good for Democrats, and Warren proposes a climate change plan for the U.S. military. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. Okay, we have officially reached peak candidate. By my count, as of this moment, we now have 24 major candidates in the primary race. That's a nice even two dozen. The latest is New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio. Early this morning, he released a video titled Working People First, announcing his candidacy for president as a Democrat. Then he went on Good Morning America to talk about it. We'll get back to all that in just a moment. So look, here's the thing. Unlike every other announcement I have seen so far, this one was met with incredible negativity even long before it happened. For weeks now, I've been reading articles in the political press saying de Blasio should not run. I'm telling you that because I'm going to try to give him a fair shot here, but you have to understand that almost every piece of source material that I'm working from, especially all the stuff coming from writers in New York City, is super negative. Alright, so back to the announcement video. de Blasio is shown in the back seat of an SUV being driven around New York City, talking about his achievements as mayor and about New York in general. On Twitter, Harry Siegel and Yashar Ali pointed out that de Blasio appears to be using his city vehicle to film a campaign commercial. If that's the case, and as I record this, it is not confirmed, but if that's the case, de Blasio is breaking the law by using his city vehicle for campaign purposes. You see what I mean about the negative coverage? That happened like 50 minutes after the video came out. Anyway, let me play the audio from his video. This is the whole thing. There's plenty of money in this world. There's plenty of money in this country. It's just in the wrong hands. Here in New York City, a place that is legendarily tough and big and complicated. Good thing about New Yorkers is they look the same whether they're really pissed off at you or they like you. We built an agenda that puts working families first. We had to fight all over the city, all over the state, to make sure that people got a decent wage. We are raising the wage to $15 an hour. Waitresses and dishwashers and store clerks and people who work in small manufacturing firms, a backbone of New York City. You will have the legal guarantee for the first time of paid sick leave. This has never existed anywhere else in this country. Fully comprehensive, guaranteed health care. My wife, Sherlane, and I believe health care is a human right. It has to be available for all. It has to be affordable. And it has to include mental health services. Everything begins with being healthy. And there's no health without mental health. Today we announce free, full day, high quality, pre-K, People come up to Bill every day and thank him for making that possible. It makes a real difference in a child's life, makes a real difference in a family's life. Doesn't matter if you live in a city or a rural area, a big state, a small state, doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. People in every part of this country feel stuck or even like they're going backwards. But the rich got richer. I'm a New Yorker. I've known Trump's a bully for a long time. This is not news to me or anyone else here. And I know how to take him on. When Donald Trump started separating families, our message to the federal government is simple. Stop this 
broken, inhumane policy right now. We sent lawyers to the border to help protect those families. When he told us he was going to cut off our security funding, we took him to court and we beat him. When we saw our national government walk away from the Paris Agreement, we doubled down. This battle to save our Earth will be won or lost in our lifetime. There's no second chance. Don't back down in the face of a bully. Confront him. Take him on. As president, I will take on the wealthy. I will take on the big corporations. I will not rest until this government serves working people. As mayor of the largest city in America, I've done just that. De Blasio for president, guys. Donald Trump must be stopped. I've beaten him before, and I will do it again. I'm Bill de Blasio, and I'm running for president because it's time we put working people first. All right, so there you have it. Now, de Blasio has had a bunch of different jobs over the years prior to his current gig as mayor. Reading from the New York Daily News, quote, de Blasio worked as a regional director of the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, a local school board candidate in 1999, the manager of Hillary Clinton's U.S. Senate campaign in 2000, and in 2001 as a successful candidate for city council, end quote. He remained on the city council through 2009, then served as New York City's public advocate starting on January 1st, 2010. By 2014, he was mayor. As mayor of New York City, de Blasio has instituted several major progressive programs. His most successful initiative provides free universal pre-K to all city residents and pays for it by taxing residents who earn more than half a million dollars a year. He also raised the minimum wage in New York City to $15 an hour. But, reading from NBC News, quote, de Blasio is not particularly popular back home, nor in early surveys of Iowa and New Hampshire, which vote first in the primary process. His popular predecessor, Michael Bloomberg, opted out of a 2020 run. But allies of de Blasio, who was easily re-elected in 2017 despite a testy relationship with the local press corps and an FBI investigation that eventually cleared him, argue he has as much or more executive experience as any candidate in the 2020 field and a record of actually doing things other candidates have only talked about. End quote. De Blasio plans to head to Iowa this afternoon and will hold his first campaign event on Friday morning near Fort Dodge. He'll also appear in Sioux City later that day, before heading to South Carolina for some more campaigning over the weekend. And then it's off to Connecticut on Monday, where he will attend his son Dante's graduation ceremony at Yale. Hey, good job, Dante. And now for some coverage from New York Magazine. In an article by Matt Stibe titled, Who Hasn't Told Bill de Blasio That He Shouldn't Run for President? We can pick up some interesting facts that are not entirely negative. For one thing, de Blasio is actually polling at 1% in two polls the DNC considers when allowing candidates into the upcoming Democratic debates. That means he only needs 1% in one more poll to get in the door. And while he only has about five weeks left until the debates for fundraising, he's already got a political action committee called Fairness Pack. So it may be possible for him to reach the donor threshold for those debates as well. It's hard, let's not kid ourselves, but it is technically possible. In an article for The Atlantic, Edward Isaac DeVere spoke to a bunch of former aides in the de Blasio camp and seemed to find a surprising number of people who really disliked the idea of this man running for president. Reading from The Atlantic, quote, de Blasio's communication director, Mike Casca, who two months ago joined the payroll of his PAC, 
quit on Friday afternoon, shortly after attempting to bat down the latest round of stories that the mayor was soon joining the crowded Democratic primary field. His government press secretary walked last month in part to avoid being pulled into forthcoming 2020 efforts. His 2013 campaign manager, Bill Hires, didn't respond when I asked him what he made of the mayor's White House ambitions, though he's been talking with Pete Buttigieg about getting involved with his campaign. John Del Cacato, the consultant who made de Blasio's ads in the past, including the breakthrough blockbuster spot featuring de Blasio's biracial son Dante, which turned around his 2013 mayoral race, won't be involved either, though he declined to comment other than to confirm that he wasn't going to participate. Lee Smith, a member of de Blasio's 2013 team, who was later denied an administration post after her own tabloid run-ins, is Buttigieg's communications advisor. Everyone has an honest assessment of his flaws, except maybe for him, said one current New York City council member who wanted to remain nameless to avoid upsetting work with the administration. End quote. And then there's the polling. So in New York City itself, Quinnipiac released a poll of New Yorkers on April 3rd. And guess what? 76% of New York voters said de Blasio should not run for president. At a news conference, de Blasio joked, quote, I'm glad I could unify the people of New York City, end quote. Good one, de Blasio. I like that. There's one other negative narrative about Bill de Blasio that you need to know about now because it's gonna come up. Here's the thing. De Blasio is notorious for showing up late to things. Reading here from a 2014 article from New York Magazine, quote, This morning, it emerged that Bill de Blasio, who is notoriously tardy for everything from memorials to speeches, was so late for a flight from JFK in November that he kept passengers from boarding for 20 minutes. New York's mayor is so perennially late that the Post once gifted him a West Elm alarm clock without a snooze button. A 2013 Observer profile noted that as public advocate, de Blasio sometimes had difficulty waking up in the morning, leaving staffers waiting for hours outside his home or showing up late to morning events he had been scheduled to attend. Some things never change. End quote. The article, which let me remind you again, is from 2014, goes on to describe 11 notable occasions on which de Blasio was late for something. The joke around this candidate is going to be that he is late to the primary race. And while that is a joke, it is also objectively true. At this stage, it is very difficult for a new candidate, particularly one who, on paper, looks a whole lot like other candidates who've been in the race for months, to actually make any significant progress. Still, having said that, we are hundreds of days away from actual primary voting. So I wish you the best of luck, Mayor de Blasio. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. 
That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm-mm-mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. And now, some polling news. In a tweet yesterday, CNN's Ryan Strzok pointed out some new numbers from a Quinnipiac poll in Pennsylvania. And before we get all excited, I do want to douse some of the high expectations some might put on this poll. We are 537 days away from the actual election, and a lot will change between now and then. So there's your disclaimer. Okay, the poll looked at how voters in Pennsylvania would vote in a hypothetical 2020 presidential contest between various Democratic primary candidates and President Trump. The poll shows that Biden would beat Trump by 11 points in Pennsylvania. Sanders would do the same by seven. Warren would win by three, Buttigieg would win by one, Harris would tie, and O'Rourke would lose by two points. So while this is just one data point, and it is a super early data point, it is great material for speculation. We can speculate that a healthy number of the frontrunners in the Democratic primary have a solid shot in Pennsylvania against Trump in 2020, even though he won that state in 2016. If that holds up in the actual general election, that's good news for Democrats. It's also potential evidence on the electability front. It's not just Biden winning in that state. Yeah, he's got the best result, but there's still three other winning Democrats on the board. And that's before there's even been a campaign. This is yet another great use for electoralvotemap.com. And no, they don't pay me to mention that. I just think it's genuinely useful. So here's what you can do. You can go there, plug in the 2016 presidential results, they're in a little drop down at the top, and then start flipping a few states. What you will find is that if you start with the 2016 result, which is basically a bad showing for Democrats, but you turn Pennsylvania blue and you also pick up, let's say, Michigan and Wisconsin and Minnesota, all of which went for Obama in 2012, well, that's the ballgame. Democrats win the White House in that case. Now, one poll in May of 2019 does not magically make all of that happen, but it's nice to think about, right? And last today, some policy news. In her latest policy proposal yesterday, Elizabeth Warren laid out a plan for the U.S. military to prepare for climate change. If the idea of climate change affecting the military is news to you, as it was to me, listen to the first paragraph of Warren's proposal. Quote, Last year, Hurricane Florence ripped through North Carolina, damaging Camp Lejeune. Hurricane Michael tore through Tyndall Air Force Base in Florida, leaving airplane hangars that housed our fifth-generation aircraft shredded and largely roofless. At Offutt Air Force Base in Nebraska, floodwaters swamped more than one million square feet of buildings, forcing military personnel to scramble to save sensitive equipment and munitions. The total cost to repair just three bases? In the billions. End quote. Warren points out that increasingly erratic weather operates as what the Pentagon calls a threat multiplier, meaning it can increase existing dangers from terrorism to disease outbreaks and other stuff. And there are some unusual threats on her list. For instance, melting sea ice in the Arctic opens up new navigable shipping lanes. That is a prime new place for conflict over territory and natural resources. 
And of course, this is not news to the actual military. Service members already know about this stuff and have tried to sound the alarm already. Reading again from Warren's proposal. Quote, the Pentagon itself recognizes the threat. Our military's top priority is readiness, ensuring that our service members are prepared to perform their mission. Time and time again, senior military leaders have warned Congress of the national security challenge that climate change poses. The military is taking steps to become more energy efficient and resilient, reducing energy use, generating renewable energy, and adjusting construction plans for extreme weather. But, Captured by big oil and its money, Washington continues to deny the threat and stand in the way of meaningful action to address it. End quote. Warren calls her plan to solve this problem the Defense Climate Resiliency and Readiness Act. It aligns with some of the core ideas in the Green New Deal, in fact, and suggests that the Pentagon needs to reach net zero carbon emissions for all non-combat bases and other non-combat infrastructure by 2030. If you're in the middle of a war zone and it's 2031, you're still allowed to burn some gas. All right, so how much will this cost? Well, Warren does not give us one big, easy-to-understand number, which is unusual for her. But at various points, she lists specific costs that are paid today by our military as the result of power outages, transporting fuel, protecting that fuel, dealing with disruptions to the supply chain and the grid, and, of course, big storms. It may be hard to pin down the total cost of upgrading all the systems to handle all of these kinds of issues without actually sitting down as commander-in-chief with the Pentagon leadership and hashing it out. Having said all that about cost, Warren does offer some detail about how she plans to pay for this program. Quote, I'll ask contractors that have not achieved net zero carbon emissions to pay a small fee, 1% of the total value of the contract and I'll use that money to invest directly in making our military infrastructure more resilient. End quote. Given that the Defense Department spends hundreds of billions of dollars every year on contractors, this sounds like a pretty decent carrot-and-stick approach to both bringing in money and greening the military at the same time. If the contractors don't do it, they'll have to pay for somebody else to do it. Now, I want to leave you with one more quote from Warren's proposal because it gets at one of the big ideas that presidents sometimes have and that really only presidents have the authority to push through. And the idea is that by mobilizing large existing parts of our government to do something big, the side effects will have tremendous positive benefits for Americans. Quote, I'll invest billions of dollars into a new 10-year research and development program at the Defense Department focused on microgrids and advanced energy storage. The Pentagon has been responsible for countless technological breakthroughs, working together with colleges and universities, our national labs, local governments, and private companies. Let's put that effort toward new clean energy solutions that will improve our security by allowing military bases to remain operational when traditional power sources fail and save taxpayers money through lower overall energy consumption. End quote. And that's it for one more episode of The Primary Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. Thank you to all the folks who wrote in on Twitter yesterday saying, basically, we love clips. More clips, more clips. Good, because I love more clips, and you're going to get more clips. So, before I say the word clips again, I'm going to sign off. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.